Um, it's good to see you guys. My name's Joe. If you don't know me, last name's Snyder. We moved here about a year and a half ago to join y'alls and uh, jump in to your lives and be your friend and, and help disciple and guide. And we're loving life here and you've made us feel so at home. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, some things today uh, out of 1 Peter 2. Uh, if you want to open your Bibles, you can. I'm not going to refer to it quite yet. But what we're going to be talking about today is an issue, the issue of identity. And um, identity is a really interesting thing in our culture now. If you do any reading or are paying any attention, uh, you'll know that our culture is in a relative state of identity crisis. People, individuals, and collectively. People are like, who am I? We're choosing all kinds of identities for ourselves, often changing them on a fly. Um, America itself, which once used to have at least a major self-identity as a country, is kind of in multitudes of factions. Again, you don't, all you have to do is observe a little bit to see that, and that's actually okay. But uh, what's interesting is um, in psychology today, um, they identify three different tasks for forming identity. You guys would understand that forming your identity is important. It's one of the main jobs of a parent is helping to form the identities of your kids. This is who you are. This is where you belong. This is what you're called to do, that kind of thing. So psychologists have identified three different factors that contribute to that forming in you. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the first one would be discovering and developing your potential. The second would be choosing, your, choosing or finding one's purpose in life, finding meaning. Where does my potential match some kind, something that's meaningful? Where is there a, a context for that? And then the third would be finding opportunities to exercise those things. And so if you have potential but no opportunity, that's a frustrating experience. If you have potential but there's no purpose or meaning, that can end up feeling a little bit empty, can't it? Um, and so we, that we found out, just this isn't Bible, this is just psychology, this is just science, um, you need these three things. Human beings need these three things in order to identify a healthy identity. Now, I'm going to go real fast today. I have to compress what I would probably put into a four-week series into 30 minutes, and so I would love it if you took notes and if you listen real fast, and I will do my best to not put you to sleep, especially you, Cara, because you're sitting right in the front. Okay. I like making Cara feel awkward. She always laughs at me. I like it. All right. Um, it's interesting in this country in particular, if you're an American, most of you are, um, this dynamic is at play. We have this strong American individualism where the desire and the pull of the individual is king. I'm my own thing. Tell your own truth. Be yourself. Do what you want. You do you. We've all heard these kinds of things versus what was the dominant way of culture in the past and still is in many cultures today, particularly those in the Middle East and some in Asia and parts of Africa, but strong group collectivist cultures where the group is king, where what the group decides is who you are. The group decides your identity. The group decides your job. The group decides who you are. You slot into the system and you rock and roll. Now, I will argue today that neither of those is particularly biblical. I think somewhere in the middle is what God has for us. And first, in this book of 1 Peter, he's, he's going to talk to us about this. Um, but without a firm sense of identity, all of us will follow a path of least resistance. Without a firm sense of who you are and why you are and what you are, you will just do whatever 
your little heart desires. Now, for some of you, that'll be great because Jesus owns your heart, but, but he's going to form an identity in you. But for most of us, walking around without a firm sense of identity, who I am, what I'm called to do, what is the purpose, the meaning behind this, you will wander and meander through life. There will be no sense of uh, solid grounding, no sense of trajectory, and probably no sense of fulfillment in your own heart and mind. Do we agree that identity is important? We do. Okay. Do you remember last time? I love participation. Talk at me a lot. Tell me it was awesome. Tell me it's terrible. Preach better. Do something like that. Just let me know that you're there. All right. Thank you. AJ. I want to play a little clip that is... uh, Kent, can you cue that up for me? I want to play a little clip from a familiar film, um, you know, one of the world's all-time best, that just talks about this sense of uh, identity. <laughs> oh, look at Simba, he's pouting. A Santa Santa squash banana, we will Come on, will you cut it out? Can't cut it out. It'll go right back. <laughs> Creepy little monkey. Will you stop following me? Who are you? The question is, who are you? I thought I knew. Now I'm not so sure. Well, I know who you are. Shh, come here. It's a secret. Enough already. What is that supposed to mean, anyway? It means you're a baboon. And I'm not. (laughs) I think you're a little confused. Wrong. I'm not the one who's confused. You don't even know who you are. Oh, and I suppose you know. Sure do. You're Mufasa's boy. Bye. Hey, wait! You know my father? Correction, I know your father. I hate to tell you this, but he died a long time ago. Nope, wrong again. <laughs> He's alive, and I'll show him to you. You follow old Rafiki, he knows the way. Come on. That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. Hmm. 
You see, he lives in you. Christian film has never been made. I just, no, just kidding. Um, funny little clip, I know, silly. It's probably my favorite clip from The Lion King, though. The reality of who you are will determine the rest of your life. And we live in a swirling mess of nobody knows who they are. Many of you have been searching and looking for who you are. And the answers lie, thankfully, in the heart of God. And they lie in an understanding and a revelation of who we are. And yes, that's a little bit collectivist. That's a little bit strong group culture. But in order to kind of come into what we have, we need to embrace that. Let's look at 1 Peter 2. We've heard from Dan and Tyler already recently about these parallels that Peter is making to this very Gentile church. So Peter is writing to this very Gentile church, in, mainly in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. They are not, most of them are not Jewish from heritage. They don't really know the old scriptures all that well. They wouldn't be all that familiar. Some of them would be Roman, some would be Greek, some would be Asian. They'd be in larger cities with massive mixes of cultures, um, don't think like everyone's the same. This is a metropolis-type situation of people from all cultures and languages. They are together. They have found Jesus. They don't have a common sense of language, even some of them, but culture for sure, socioeconomic status. This is a mixed group of people, and they don't have a common sense of who are we, and when we do not have that and we come up against trouble, trouble always wins. So let's see what Peter has to say um, to these guys. 1 Peter 2, 4 to 10. As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, you, each of you, like living stones. This is the individual part of this. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up together as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's from Isaiah. So the honor for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Again, from Isaiah and the Psalms. And a stone of stumbling block, a rock of offense. Okay, now pay attention. If that blew over your head, don't let this. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you... Peter's talking to you and I. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Guys, Peter is chatting with us here, not chatting, declaring. Chatting is too casual. He is declaring with all authority who you are. And he says two things about who you are here. He says you are collectively living stones, individually being built together as a collective house of the Lord. You are, we sang this morning, better is one day in the house of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. Guess who is the house? It is not this building. It is not some far off thing. It is not some old Jewish idea only. We together are the house of God, the very place where God dwells, the place where he lives. We'll talk about that more in a moment. And we are a royal priesthood. I want you and I to get rid of some of the baggage that we bring with us. Do you know that we bring baggage with us from our past, from church life in the past, our disappointments, our expectations, our understandings? Well, church is this way, and we bring our bags in, and we set it down, and we're like, this is what church is. I got it well-defined. Or we're like, we've been obliterated by church life. We've been butchered, to use a Chris word. We've been abused. We've been forgotten. We've been misunderstood. And so we take our bags and kind of leave. And a lot of us now are in a, in a sense of kind of, um, uh, we're, we're kind of destructing, we're, we're sort of deconstructing what we've known of church life, we're kind of taking it apart. And thankfully, God's not insecure about that, I think God's really kind, and as much as we want to deconstruct the ideas that we've once had about what church is and about who we are and what we're meant to do, God wants to rebuild it. He's really kind because He loves His church. He loves his people and he loves each of you and he wants to set us up to do what we're called to do. So, um, so number one, if you're taking notes, I'm going to breeze through this super fast um, again, but number one, you are the house of God built on the foundation of Jesus. Um, I, I won't teach this point by point for the sake of time, but if you go back and look at Genesis 28 and Genesis 35, this is the first place in the Bible where we see the term house of God. There's no temple yet. There's no tabernacle. There's no like God filling the holy of holies with his presence and glory and smoke. There is none of that. You have God and you have a few people who know him. <laughs> and Jacob, who was the, the, the promised son of Isaac, is on a journey to and fro. And just real quick, Jacob encounters God. Do you remember the Jacob's ladder, the angels up coming up and down from heaven to earth? Okay, I'm just reminding us where we are in the story. Jacob sets up a little rock. He calls the rock Bethel, or the house of the Lord. He sleeps on the rock. He has this dream, angels ascending, descending. And God says a ton through us through those scriptures. And I won't get super into it, but guys, we are the house of God. And those scriptures talk to us about what that house would be. First, 
that house would end up looking like this tent that they took around the wilderness with them as they were coming into the promised land. And God filled the place with his presence. And the priests offered sacrifices and they worshiped and sang and they atoned for their sins. And it's this place where all that's happening. And then we find it later in the temple where it's built out of stones. And it's a wonderful place where people are taught and sacrifices are done again in God's temple. God's presence fills the place. It's this connection point. But in our, uh, in our era under Jesus, in our time and in our faith, we are that house. We are that place. So quickly, the house of God, it's this place, in a, it's this place of connection and exchange. It's this place where heaven touches earth. The ladder had a top touching heaven and a bottom touching earth. The house of God is a place where People can meet God. It's a place where God meets earth and a place where earth meets God. Guys, you and I are that place. You and I together are the place where people can meet the Lord. Jesus himself called himself Jacob's ladder. Jesus, we are the place where Jesus lives. Uh, We are the place where humans can meet God and where God graciously comes to meet humans. It's a place of the Holy Spirit. It's a place of revelation. It's a place of conversation where God speaks to us and where we speak back to Him. It's a place of worship and sacrifice. It's a place where we lay down what we have for Him, both because of our sins, thank you Jesus for doing that for us, and then just to offer to Him because we love Him. We take from our wealth and we give to Him. It's a place of the tithe. If you want to know where the tithe comes from, there's a few places. This is the second place where it's mentioned Jacob gave a tithe. There is a giving to the Lord that happens. Dana talked about that earlier. We have the privilege of partnering with God, excuse me, to build, and my mouth is getting super dry. So are your ears probably. All right. Okay, okay. Um, Guys, it's a place of rest. Jacob actually slept on that rock and God came to him. God came to him, not Jacob came to God. That's very important for us to understand. It's a place of rest. He slept on the thing. Rocks aren't comfortable. Church isn't comfortable, but it is the place of his presence. We find rest. And guys, it's a place of identity. This is the place where Jacob's name was changed um, from Jacob to Israel. Jacob means deceiver or liar. You will no longer be called Jacob or liar. Your name will be Israel. And Israel means one who wrestles or contends with God. God turns con men into contenders. He turns worms into wrestlers. God turns liars into lovers of God. He wants all of us to become those who contend with God. David's got a great tattoo of this on his elbow. Ask him to show it to you sometime or on his tricep. Now, I, I don't feel like I've done a good, good job or a thorough job with that, and that's fine. We'll cover the house of God more another time, but I wanted to give you a brief sense. When Peter says, you are being fit together like living stones, that doesn't just mean some figurative place where God dwells. God actually lives in us together. This holy sense of this this whole sense of like you're the temple of God and then we talk about our bodies being a temple. It's not it doesn't actually mean your individual body. It can and that's fine. That it isn't wrong that God lives in you because he does. He says I will come make my home in you. But guys the more actual 
literal meaning of, that, of those phrases is God lives in plural you. He lives in you together. You and I being fit together. And as we are together as a people, God lives in us. And we get to show the world what God looks like by, him, by them looking at us. Fun fact, if you look at when Solomon was building the first house of God, uh, the first, like, well, the first one that they didn't move around, the first temple, there's this funny little line that says, um, and no noise was made on the, the site of the temple. The rocks were all cut and formed off-site and then brought and fitted together. No sound of any tool was, was heard on the site. You are cut and fashioned and then added to something. You are ready to go. You are ready to be a part of it as soon as God saves you. When God saves you, when he gives you faith and you say, I want to follow you, you are at that point cut and fashioned and fitted in. You don't need any more work to fit into the thing. You don't need any more cutting and like trimming just make you fit. You fit right now. You fit right now. And if you don't feel like you fit, I ask you to keep wrestling with God because you fit you belong. This is not a place where we hear the sound of tools, violent, loud tools, chipping off pieces of stone to make you fit in this thing. You belong here. You already do, and you always will. Just like a baby when they're born is born with everything they need, DNA and chromosomally to become a full adult. All the little teeth, all the little everything, it's all there. Now, does that mean that a baby doesn't need care and food? And of course it needs all that. You guys need it too. And our sanctification and the process of us becoming to look more like Jesus, the process of us becoming more like him does happen. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, do you belong here? You all belong here and you already fit. You have a place. And we don't, these rocks don't have legs. They don't decide where they fit. God fits you together. God decides. It's his sovereign goodness to us to decide, oh yeah, you know what? You fit right here. This is where you're, gonna, you're right here by the entrance or you're right here by the whole, you're right here. You fit. Okay, I've, I've barked on that too long. Um, point two, any of you keeping notes, which should be all of you because I yelled at all of you last time, be note takers, be students. Study the Word of God. Shannon Kyes, I know you take notes. Ah, okay. All right. Guys, uh, we are the house of God. There's so much more to say on that. I would love to talk about it another time in so much detail. Okay, but I'm not going to today. You are a royal priesthood. Number two. Just checking my time. All right, we have no time. Let's rock and roll. Um, I'm just going to refer to some scriptures instead of reading them. I'm going to count on you to go look them up in your own time. Again, you're studiers, right? You're students, so you know how to do that. Okay, we've heard familiarly from Genesis 1 that we were made in the image of God. This is just a quick study on that. God created Adam and Eve, told them to rule over the earth, told them to cultivate it or bring out the best from it, and he said that he made them in his image and in his likeness. You're all probably really familiar with that. But this imagery that God gives us is about kings and queens ruling over the earth. And maybe some of you are familiar with that as well. This was Adam and Eve's call. It was their commission to go be kings and queens, to rule and to 
bring about justice and righteousness and to cultivate, bring from the earth and from its people that which provides human flourishing and reflects the glory of God. Now, did they do that well? Did Adam and Eve do that well? They didn't do it well. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I need some more participation. All right, Adam and Eve failed in their mission, but God, the funny thing is, is God didn't change his plan. God wasn't like, oh, that was a bad idea. Let me figure out what else to do. God continued to give that same commission over and over and over again. If you look through Genesis, you see it given to Noah. You see it given to Abraham. You see it given over and over and again and to David. And finally, it lands on Jesus. And finally, there's a one who can actually fulfill the commission to go and rule, to go and extend the glory of God into all the earth. And it didn't stop with Jesus because as we know and as I'll refer to in a minute, Jesus was the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. Jesus is the first. He makes a way for all of us to enter into that same call. So let's look at that a little bit here. Um, Because I'm like editing my notes on the fly, just forgive me if I look for a second. You cool with that? Knuckle crack? Knuckle crack? Okay. God reiterates this to the Israelites as they're coming out of Egypt. So again, no identity. They've been slaves for 400 years, and God brings them out, and they're like a hodgepodge group of people. They know that they're Jewish, but they don't know what that means. And so God says, you are a kingdom of priests. And as soon as God says that, he gives this whole wonderful promise and covenant to Moses and all this wonderful stuff about the kind of people there to be in the earth. And you know what the content of all that law was? The content of all of that was go and fill the earth and subdue it and rule it and cultivate it. Shorthand for what the law is, that's what it is. And did Israel do really well in their mission? Did they fulfill it well? They didn't. They didn't fulfill it well because like a week later, they're taking off all their jewelry and they're, I can't get it off my hand because I've gotten fatter. <laughs> they're taking, wow. They're taking off all their jewelry and they're like chucking it at Aaron and Aaron throws it into a pot and he makes a golden calf out of it and then they worship the thing and they rise up to eat and drink and lay down and play. In other words, they had a massive orgy, which is disgusting, but it's what they did. The people that God said, you were a holy nation and a royal priesthood, They decided because Moses was up the mountain for a little too long that they got bored and decided to strip off their identity and go and worship beasts instead of rule over those beasts that they were supposed to worship. And Aaron had the audacity to say, they gave me this gold, I threw it into the fire and out popped this calf. Um, If you want Bible comedy, just turn there. Um, Guys, um, God wants a nation of kings to rule over the earth. You guys got my ring? You're good with that? It's my wedding ring, so okay, thanks. I trust you guys. I threw that at you on purpose. Guys, these guys are my home group. I love them. They're amazing. Um, guys, God is destined, all of us, he wants a nation of kings to rule. Men, you guys know this. Men tend to like to make kings out of other people, don't we? We do it with celebrities. They've done it throughout history. I won't spend much time on that, but if you know in your own heart, we have that desire for someone else to be great so we can follow them. So they can like kind of take, this is why churches get these massive platforms with really big gifted guys and people are just like happy to like, 
like follow until they fall and then they're like you hurt me and then they run this way and then they're like looking for someone else to make a king out of and guys this isn't new to our culture this has always been the case you look at Israel in the beginning after the judges and they said Samuel give us a king we want a king like all the other nations of the earth and Samuel's like you guys are messed up and God is not going to be happy with that but we want someone to look to to represent us the direct quote from 1 Samuel says they want someone that they can look to. Sorry, not direct quote. This is the Joe interpretation. But it says they want someone to fight their battles and they want uh, someone to provide a standard for them to aspire to. It, it literally says we want someone to fight our battles and to judge us. Those are the two things that we want. But to put it in modern English, we want someone who will fight our battles and who will provide a standard for us to know if we're okay or not. We're looking to kings to find our identity when the true king gives us our identity already and says that we're the actual king. Okay, I am dangerously... You know, why does my phone... Okay, there we go. Okay, now I can't take my time, actually. I'm under forces that you don't know about. No. All right. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have to... We're going to have to close it up. Um, we'll have to come to another time. The reality is, guys, you were intended to be a king and a queen. And I, I haven't really done this well. I haven't done this thoroughly enough. I really wanted to get meatier with it. Just consider it an intro. You can come to my house in a few weeks and we'll go through it all together. But the reality is, is you weren't called to just be a Joe Schmo. You weren't called to just like fill a seat. You weren't called to just sit in a wall. You were called to rule and cultivate. You were called to bring justice and righteousness. You were called to represent God to the world and represent the world to God. You were called to stand in the middle between the world and God and intercede for them so that he might receive them. You are called to go into your hospital, Dr. Austin, or Nurse Maddie, who's not here. You are called to go into your mortgage office, Tyler. You are called to go into your surf shop, Hurley, or something. You are called to be at Chapman University. You are called to be wherever you are called because God wanted you to rule and cultivate. God wants you to be his witness in his image. That word image means statue or representation. It's the same word they use for idol, for goodness sake. We don't make idols. We are the idol that the world looks at and sees God. You are the ones. We don't worship them. We worship him and he makes you the example. None of you are called to just chill. This life is not Netflix and chill. This life is not figure out how to get to the next thing. This life is not, I don't know who I am. This life is God has told you who you are and you are the house of God and you are a royal priesthood and you've been called to take territory. You've been called to rule over the earth just like God does with humility and with love and with righteousness and justice. Guys, friends, let's go rule the world like Jesus did. And you know how he ruled the world? He gave his life up for it. He laid it down. He loved the world so much that he laid down his life for it. And we're called to do no less. We think that we rule by asserting authority and we have it backwards. We rule by laying down our lives. We rule by submitting to authority. We rule by coming under humility. We come to rule by coming to a cross and dying. 
And as you do that, Jesus will fill you with his life. And when you look into the reflection pool like Simba did, you will see your father because he is in you. Your father is in you. And when people look at you, they can see him. And when they see him in you over time, they will want to be like him too. And that is what you're called to do. And that is who you are. Thanks, guys.